uh, this is just like a special moment I'm taking it in. I really do have just a great love for this church, and um, it's really special to be here with you guys this morning. I want to take a minute just before I start to publicly thank your pastors and to declare some testimony, if that's okay, because God has used Dan and Alexis in a really powerful way in my life to deposit something into me that I didn't even know I needed um, and I feel like I'm standing up here today. I just want to testify to this. I feel like I'm standing up here today from like the time we met five years ago as a different woman. And it is in a huge part of that is what the Spirit did through the two of you. If introducing me to what we're going to be talking about today, silence and solitude, and the conduit that is for the Spirit to come and heal us, right? So I just wanted to testify to that for a minute. Um, yeah. Thanks, Jesus. All right, I'm going to start with a little story that I think is going to tee up where we're headed this morning, if that's okay. So a few years ago, um, a wild thing happened to me. It was the summer of 2020 during the middle of the pandemic, and my husband and I found ourselves kind of at the beginning of this dream to launch a a nonprofit uh, that was going to, in in our hearts, like we had this idea that it was going to serve pastors dealing with burnout, and we wanted to do this by taking them on sailing retreats. Like, we live in San Diego, what better, right? But first, we needed to become certified sailors. And I was like, ah, that's fine, we can do that, that can't be that hard. You know, Pete had a little sailing experience, and it was actually much harder of a process than I anticipated. And the Lord had a lot for me to learn in there. But um, so for our, to become certified in what we needed to do for this ministry, we needed to sail from San Diego to Catalina Island, which is like 240 miles, no, 280 miles. And um, we, we needed to do these tasks and drills along the way. And it was strenuous. And they advertised it as a learn to sail vacation, but I can guarantee you it was not a vacation. So for days, uh, the, well, the sea state, it was really rough. And for days, we were riding up and down the waves. I called it like a salty roller coaster. And the thing is, you don't necessarily realize it when it's happening, but your body and your mind, they adjust to this constant movement, right? Uh, It's called getting your sea legs. So for a week, we had this constant connection to the movement and the sound of the sea. I'm gonna show you guys a video so you you can get a little feel for this. That, that went on for, for a long time. Okay, here's the wild thing, though. The morning after we, we returned, I'm sitting on my, get up, sit on my couch, like in the normal little spot that I do my quiet time in the morning, and I've got my big window open. We live in Ocean Beach, so we're like maybe five blocks from the ocean, and I, I've got my coffee and my Bible and my journal in my hand, and I think, I can hear the waves. And I thought, no, like, there's no way my mind's playing tricks on me because we've lived here in this house for two years. Like, I've sat at this window with my Bible many mornings, and I've never heard the ocean. So uh, I sat there, I'm listening, and I'm like, no, I can hear it. And I yelled to Pete, like, I think I can hear the ocean. Am I crazy? Like, is this just because we were on the boat or something? And he was like, yeah, Bree, I hear them every morning. But you guys... This was the first time that I heard the waves from my house. The first time. There was something about being on the water for those five days 
becoming acquainted with its existence and its movement away from the other distractions that created this space for me to hear something that had been there all along. And I think this is sometimes true about our hearing of God. Ruth Haley Barton, uh, you guys probably know about her, right? She's one of my favorite authors on Silence and Solitude. She says this, technology is keeping us distracted with the outer world rather than being in touch with our inner world where our soul has something to say to God and where God is wanting to say something true to our souls. Have you guys felt this, the pull of distraction to the outer world, the reels, the feeds, the scrolls, all calling for our attention and our focus, right? 24-hour news cycles, the pressure to keep up with the latest trends and the latest version of iOS. And the thing is, this distraction, it's not just uh, affecting our habits and our attention spans. It's, it's forming our hearts, right? Dallas Willard says this, what has our attention has our hearts. What has our attention has our hearts. So as, as these thousands of voices compete for our attention, the one voice that matters most can get lost in all the noise, right? Satan loves this. You guys, if he can keep us distracted, surrounded by all these voices, being pulled into the vortex and the pressures of the outer world, it becomes almost impossible to make room to hear the voice of our Father. The same voice that said uh, to Jesus, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You're in an Advent series titled Prepare Him Room. So in light of this, I want to ask a question this morning, uh, which is this. How do we make room to hear the voice of God in the distraction and the chaos of a loud world? In essence, you guys, how do we hear God in all the noise? Is there a place we can go to hear his voice? And if so, how do we hear it once we're there? So this is the plan. Anybody like a roadmap on, uh, at the very beginning? This is the plan. Uh, we're going to talk about a few ways that distraction assaults our intimacy with God. But we're not going to camp out there for too long because mostly I want us to look at how we resist being formed by the noise. How we resist being formed by the noise by cultivating intimacy with God and what the Bible refers to as the secret place, what we read about in our verse this morning. This is where Jesus went to escape distraction and make room to receive from the Father. Just think about this. It's where he communed with God, where he received identity, was sustained for his mission, broke free from the fear of man, fought the attack of the devil, was comforted, empowered, and ultimately where he surrendered his will. The secret place is death to every voice and identity that rivals against the voice of God. And Jesus knew this. Just think about this. Jesus spent 30 years of his life chasing obscurity before his public ministry exploded. 
In line with this, historically, the Christian church has called for living a life in the unseen, right? Encouraging the disciple of Jesus to go to the outer places of society, to the margins, to the corners, to serve those in need. Yet here we stand in 2020, 2023, in a celebrity culture, right? And this has come into the fabric of the church as well, with its beckon to come be known via social media. And we're pressured to form all these false identities, right? For the sake of gaining platform or praise. And I want to suggest to you this morning that there is a returning to the hidden life that needs to take place right now. Where we discover again how to follow Jesus's example. You guys, we're following Jesus's example into the hidden life. Learning to prioritize the affection of our king over the attention from his kingdom. The affection of our king over the attention from his kingdom. And when we do this, you guys, we leave the shallows. We leave the shallows and we go in deep. So are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go in deep. First point, distraction assaults our intimacy with God keeping us in the shallows, living in the shallows. That's not like a phrase we use very often, but do you guys know this place, living in the shallows? This is how Jeremiah describes it. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. I don't want to live there. The shallows, it's where our focus is diverted and our hearts become divided. So first, distraction diverts our focus. Case in point, King David. The man after God's own heart, right? He wrote songs about the secret place. He experienced intimacy with God, but he also experienced life in the shallows. One day he sees Bathsheba, this beautiful woman, and she's bathing on the roof, and boom, he's diverted. And distraction took David far from God's best for his life, right? Sadly, we see this story of of diversion in the church today too. A ministry leader who's living for Jesus, living their life out front for Jesus even. And something just grabs their attention. Uh, Maybe it's sex or money or fame. And before you know it, diverted, they've fallen, right? Um, Distraction, it also divides our hearts. It fractures um, our love. Do you know the story of the rich young ruler? In Mark 10, he's a good man. He's, he's making good choices, doing good things. And he has a conversation with Jesus and he asks a good question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the text says this, Jesus looked at him, notice this verse, and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus goes straight to the core issue, exposing the one thing dividing this man's heart. 
And, and we don't know, was it the pursuit of money, security, importance, independence? Maybe he just liked living the good life. Whatever it was though, he was struggling to go all in if it meant giving it up. Something else had his, his heart, his, his affection was divided. The text says he went away sad. So distraction, it does. It leaves us diverted. It leaves us divided. It leads us living in the shallows. And I know we haven't started off very positive. <laughs> this is attempting to draw life from dead places. Um, it makes me think of this other verse in Jeremiah. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that, can hold, that cannot hold water. But you guys, Jesus did not come so we would live life in the shallows. Amen? He came so that we could have life and have it to the full, abundant life. Abundant life. That's what he says. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And from his example, we learn about a place that we can go to to make room to receive on this side of heaven. So Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And this is, this is not the only passage that talks about Jesus' habit to withdraw to a solitary place and pray. We're not going to read through all of these, but I just want, I want you to look at these references in the Gospels. After performing the miracle of feeding five, of the 5,000, the next one, immediately before choosing the 12 disciples, he goes away. The next one, before Peter's profession of faith, immediately before the transfiguration, before teaching the Lord's Prayer, before the crucifixion in the garden. You guys, Jesus went to the secret place. He went there. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem to me like he's being pressured to go there. Like, like people aren't just like, Jesus, you know, your work-life balance is really rough right now. I think you need to like adjust that. This is where he went. He wanted to go there. In fact, in the hours before the cross, this is where he went. So, so why? Like what's so great about the secret place? What did Jesus receive there? And why should we want to go there too? So just glancing back at the teaching text today, I'm just gonna read it again, read it over you. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You guys, what is this place? And is this whole sermon going to be about praying in a closet? Some of you are like, please let it be about that. And others are like, no. The secret place is not mainly about going to a place. It's about being with a person, the triune God. It's where we intentionally disconnect from that distraction we were talking about. All of the voices, all of the noise for the purpose of encountering God in a relational way. 
And prayer that takes place in the secret place, it's not just like one-way prayer like we tend to think about it where I lay down at night and I say my prayers. It's a two-way conversation. Dan talked about this in the beginning, this paradox of, of, holding, of being held by God and holding God. It's a two-way conversation that involves speaking, listening, yielding, receiving. The secret place is where we go to be with God. It's Emmanuel, God with us and us with Emmanuel. It's about communing with Yahweh in prayer. Do you guys know this kind of prayer, this communing prayer? It's different from other kinds of prayer. And I'm not saying it's better, but it, it's different from praying in the shower and in the car and throughout your day. That's, it's beautiful to pray throughout your day. I'm not saying to not do that. We should. But prayer in the secret place, it's about more fully devoting our attention, our affection, and our will to God to commune with him. It's where we go to, it's where we seek to know who God is and to understand who we are to God. It's where we go to experience being loved and where we go to express our love, right? This is intimacy. This is intimacy and intimacy takes time, right? Takes patience. So this is a process. This is a process. We see this in the Bible in the life of Samuel. God spoke to him many times before he realized that the voice he was hearing was God's voice. And it took him time to learn how to respond to it. So that's the good news. Wherever you're at in this process today, it's a process. It's a process. So how do we hear God's voice in the secret place? Uh, hearing God's voice, some would say, can be very natural, instinctual to us. Even little kids even little kids hear God's voice. But can we also agree, you guys, that this concept of hearing God's voice can be confusing? Is there anybody else? Yeah? Okay. Because God often speaks to us through our own minds and our own hearts, we tend to hear his voice in the same fashion that we hear other thoughts that we have, right? And so it can be hard to know, is this God speaking? Or is this my imagination? Or is this both? And my guess is that there's some of us in this room that have had experiences with people that have left us feeling wounded or maybe even angry. Um, maybe we've experienced someone leverage the concept of hearing God's voice as a manipulative tool to gain authority over another person or power or fame. Or they've used the phrase, God told me, as a way to just substantiate or validate something they want. I'm sorry if that's, I'm sorry if that's you, by the way. Um, thinking it will help them fit in or belong, people can end up impostering what it is they desire to experience, right? Which ultimately keeps them from experiencing what it is they desire to hear God. And this is all sad, but you guys don't miss this because of this. Because there's, we come to this, all of us come into this room with different experiences of like, when I say, can you hear God? Have you heard God? There's different things going through your hearts and mind right now. So I just wanna, I wanna validate that, that we come into this room with different things. 
that we hold, and I, and I don't want us to miss this, what we believe about the God who speaks will affect our ability to hear him. This is like how I lived in my house for two years before I realized I could hear the ocean. And if we don't develop a biblical scaffolding or a foundation to build our, our experiences upon, it can leave us feeling confused. It can leave us feeling deficient, like we're an outsider boxed out of the cool kids hear from God club. Anyone ever felt like that before? Wondering if this kind of relationship with God is just like out of reach, like right there. Or worse, we can fear that we aren't worthy of God speaking to us. And why would we want to spend time cultivating a place of intimacy with God if we think he won't meet us there? So can we just get really practical for a second? Like really practical. And let's break a few things down. Because generally when we talk about hearing God's voice, we aren't referring to the audible voice of God. Like how we hear one another in a casual conversation. Although anything is possible with God. This is how I would describe it. Hearing God's voice in the secret place. Being guided or directed into a relational interaction with God where through the spirit we perceive something God wants us to know. Maybe a thought or a phrase comes to our mind or we feel a nudge or a warning. We might recall a Bible verse at a critical moment or see an image or a vision play out in our mind. Sometimes we have this sudden, like, keen awareness of God's heart for another. Like, I would explain that like it's like a flashlight that we just see illuminating something, right? In somebody else or, or in us. It's something that we need to notice or pray about. It can feel like a force. Anybody ever felt that before? Like a force propelling us to an act of obedience or to surrender or to worship. There are lots of ways that people experience hearing God. But I think it's really important. And this is, this is just something really practical. I think this is really important that we remember this. We are each wired uniquely by a creative God. And so doesn't it make sense that a relational God would want to speak to our souls according to the unique ways that he's wired us, right? So if you're concrete and logical, God will probably speak to you in a concrete and logical way, maybe through scripture. If you're highly imaginative and like the whole world is passion and color and, you know, beauty, you're, you're probably going to hear God speak to you through imagery and emotion. And it's not to say that these are the boxes he works in. He can go outside of the boxes. But I do think it's important to remember that he's personal, that he knows you. He made you. So he's going to speak to you in a way that you can understand. And while we can't always know a certainty if a thought or a vision is from God, there are some ways we can test it. You guys have probably talked about this before, but I'm just going to run through three little, three little things, three little filters. Hearing God only makes sense when it is in alignment with his will, according to his word. He will not speak outside of his word, you guys. Number two, hearing God should always draw us in closer to his presence. God's voice always calls us home. Think of the 99, of, of Jesus leaving the 99 to go to the one. Think of the prodigal son. 
It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. His conviction is meant to restore relationship. So when you hear his conviction, remember that it's meant to restore relationship. If you're hearing a voice that accuses, it's probably not, it's not, it's not, it's not your father. Satan's voice accuses. God's voice brings us home. And then the last one, hearing God begins and ends with knowing Jesus. So any revelation then that claims to be from God, but does not sound or look like Jesus Christ of Nazareth and fails to draw us into a deeper relationship with Jesus, no matter how good or supernatural or profound, it should be set aside, you guys, because Jesus is what God has to say. This is Hebrews 1. It says that he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. So do you want to know if something that you're hearing is the voice of God? Ask this, does it sound and look like Jesus? Will it make me look more like him? Okay, you guys ready for the last main point? Point number three, cultivating the secret place. And there's just a few things that I want to highlight about this. Our response matters, our posture matters, and our obedience matters. So number one, our response matters. Imagine that you've been invited to the world's like best dinner party. The elite of the elite, whoever that is to you. you guys think of the, who you would want to be invited to their party right now in your mind. And you get this invitation in the mail and it comes, right? And you cannot believe it. And you think about first, like, what am I going to wear, right? What are we going to talk about? And you put, the, you put the invitation, it's like engraved, it's fancy. You put it on your fridge and you put a magnet there and it's like right next to all the photos of whatever, the Christmas card photos from last year. You guys have a Padres magnet on there from last year's season, wherever. It's right there, and you see it every day, and you think, I cannot forget to RSVP to this invitation, right? But as the week goes by, it starts to meld in with all the things that you, like, just don't even notice anymore. And before you realize it, this party has come and gone, and you missed it. This would be crazy, right? Like, we wouldn't do that. But I think we do this with God's invitation to us. Look at his invitation to you to come to the secret place. Will you let, would you just even let the spirit, I just, I want to declare this, that this is not over even, this invitation is not over this room. This invitation is for you. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You guys, we have been invited to come and commune with the living God and our response to his invitation matters. It matters. It involves our participation and dare I say commitment Do you want to know how someone develops intimacy with God in the secret place? They go there. It's a priority. They make room. 
We say no to the pull of a thousand voices and yes to the one voice that matters. It's a, a holy prioritization, a carve out, you guys, where we intentionally unplug from corrupt power sources and all the lines that are tethering us to the shallows and instead we get in deep. We leave it all to go in deep to be with Jesus. And if you're new to this, you don't need to be intimidated. The secret place, it sounds like, I think the enemy uses it as this, like, it sounds so fancy. It sounds so sacred, and it is. But it, it doesn't mean that it's impossible to go there. So you can just start where you are. Start where you can. Pray as you are. Pray as you can. So here's just a few suggestions. Get alone. Be quiet, pray, read scripture, meditate on a psalm or a story in the gospel. It's called Lectio Divina. Journal, talk, talk to God, pray out loud and listen. And I want you to hear this. Do not worry about what you hear or even if you will hear something because we can get so caught up in what his voice is gonna sound like. Is he gonna speak to me? That's where the enemy wants you to go. Just attune your heart to God in a, ded in a dedicated rhythm. And I, I dare you to do this. Like, I know that sounds, that sounds kind of rude, but I dare you to do this. I dare you to do this because I don't know anybody that is committed to doing this and their life hasn't been shifted and changed and formed. You will hear from him. You guys, in, in two weeks when you're doing this and you're like, I just want to even speak this over you again. You will hear from him. Uh, maybe you have been responding to God's invitation for a lot of years. And you're like, Brie, I know about the secret place. Like me and Jesus, we are. Like the secret place is my jam, right? And I just want to ask you this morning, like how is your zeal for God? Like, are you still believing him for more? Dan, have you ever talked about the story of Abelot? Okay, you guys, the Desert Fathers. You know the Desert Fathers. <laughs> this story is for you, Dan. Abelot, he goes, he's the younger of the, of the apprentice. He's an apprentice, and he goes to Abba Joseph, who's his teacher, and he says to him, Abba, as far as I can say, I read my Psalms, I fast a little bit, I pray and I meditate, and I live in peace with others as far as I can. I purify my thoughts. Tell me, Father. What more can I do? Like he's hungry, he wants to know more of God. And the old man, Abba Joseph, he stands up and he stretches out his hands toward heaven and his fingers become like 10 lamps of flame. And he says, if you will, you can be all flame. And I just wanna remind you, there's always more with God. Like we don't arrive at this place with him and that's as good as it gets. There is more. Do you want to know? I, I mean, this is what I think, but I was contemplating this last week. Why do, the, why do the angels keep singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty? Why do they say that over and over and over and over? 
How do they not get tired of that? And I just had this thought this week, like, I think it's because their revelation of who Jesus is is always increasing. And as our revelation of Jesus increases, so does our worship, right? There's always more. So our response matters. And then number two, our posture matters. You can learn a lot about somebody if you look at the direction their heart is leaning. Henry Nouwen said this, and it's true. We tend to like lean in towards what we want, right? What we long for. Our posture says a lot about what we desire. Our physical posture. There's a connection between our physical posture and our heart posture. And you guys, tons of studies on this. Mirror, uh, what do you call it? Mirror neurons, somebody saying that right? All that good stuff. Our bodies often reflect the emotional state that we're in. And sometimes our emotional state can be altered just by changing the position of our bodies. The point is, and I'm clearly not like super studied on this, but the point is there is a correlation between our heart posture and our physical posture. And when we're trying to build intimacy with someone, the posture of our body and heart matter. Have you guys ever been hanging out with a friend on a a date, getting coffee with a friend, and the person you're with just like keeps checking their phone, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, look up, look up, like lean in, I'm right here. Our lean matters with God too. Our lean matters in the secret place. It both generates a longing and it displays longing. It both generates longing, it generates it, and it displays it. This is often a place in our apprenticeship with Jesus, you guys, where we mature beyond just wanting the things of God, the things he gives us, and we become consumed with a hunger to know God himself. And it's not that the gifts he gives us aren't good or that we're not meant to enjoy them, we are. It's that being with the giver of the gifts is better. Think of the lean of the bleeding woman in Luke 8. Do you guys know that story? She's been dealing with an an illness for years. She's hungry for healing. She's tried everything. She's still dealing with this ailment in her body. And she sees Jesus, the one that they call Messiah. And she's heard about the stories of what he can do. And she pushes her way through the crowd, right? She is not dignified. She pushes her way through the crowd just to grab at his robe, just to touch Maybe he'll heal me. Just a touch. Maybe he'll heal me. And I want you to notice two things about her lean. She is desperate to encounter Jesus. This is hunger, you guys. This is hunger. And she came as she was. She was honest and raw. She didn't go home first and clean up. This is need. And there is something about our hunger and our need that arouses the heart of God. 
He's compassionate. He turns. He notices. You guys, in the beginning, I was talking about like being changed in the secret place. Uh, as Dan and Alexis introduced me to this rhythm in my life, I just want to testify to this for a second, and then I'll jump back in here. But there was five years ago, I was walking around with feeling like God had healed me from some pretty significant trauma in my life, but I still carried it in my body like a pack that was on my back. And there was something about being with Jesus in the secret place and uh, reading Isaiah 53. Do you guys know the passage about uh, where it's talking about he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Do you know the verse before that? Surely he bore our grief and he carried our sorrows. And there was something about that passage that I just, when I read that, I thought, Lord Jesus, I need you to carry this. And he said, I have. And I just remember this, this season where I was just like leaned in. Heal me, heal me. I need you to heal me. I don't want to live another day carrying this around in my body. Heal me. You guys, God notices the heart leaned in. He builds our wanting in the waiting. And he's drawn to the heart reaching for him. Do you want to cultivate intimacy with God? Our posture matters. Okay, last point. Our obedience matters in the secret place too. You guys like to talk about obedience? <laughs> Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. In fact, John 14, it goes on, I don't have the text right here, but it says that the Father and I will come make our home in him. So just like our hunger for God awakens his attention, so does our obedience. Our obedience matters to Yahweh. And we can't earn his love through it, right? But we prove our love for him in it. So please hear me, neighbors. I'm not saying that uh, our salvation is hinged to what we do or, not, or don't do for God. I'm not saying that. The grace and mercy of Jesus are what enable us to have a relationship with God. Amen? But this doesn't mean that our actions don't matter to God or that they don't affect our intimacy with him. When we yield to God in obedience, our heart merges with the heart of God. Our desires are reordered, conforming to his. And even Jesus surrendered his will to God. He went out to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. He's honest. I wish there was another way. If you're willing, take this cup from me. But he yields to God. Not my will, but yours be done. 
His surrender was costly, you guys. Jesus lived and died a surrendered life and he asks us to do the same. He says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. And while we can't fully understand what we gain and surrender on the side of heaven, I don't think we can. I wanna just remind you this morning, our surrender isn't meaningless. This is 2 Corinthians 4.16. It's achieving for us something, an eternal weight of glory. It always brings us closer to Jesus. You guys, I've lived long enough to tell you that there is a correlation between our obedience and joy. There are times that God asks us to lay something down that's not best for us or to pick something up to trust him with something he's asking us to step into. And these invitations are always for our good. They are always to bring us home. They are always for joy and peace and healing. Can I leave you with a visual picture this morning before we go into worship? Last week or the week before, I can't remember now, I had this memory of my son at Christmas time. And we used to do stockings first. Anybody do stockings before you did the big presents? And this one year he opens a stocking and it's all these dollar, dollar store tree trinkets, you know, nothing of value. And he was so excited. And he got this one little toy, it was like a little skateboarder thing and he did not want to put that down. And we were like giving him some space to play with it, you know, but I was like, okay, Alex, come on now. Like it's been a while and we've got the big gifts waiting, like the gifts of value but he was so enamored with this little dollar trinket. And I was just standing there waiting with expectation to give him like the gifts that we really put intention into. And I just wonder as we're thinking about making room for Jesus this morning, can I ask you a question neighbors? Are your hands full of cheap gifts? What is the Spirit asking you to lay down to make room for the gifts of value with Jesus? How's living in a world of distraction faring on your souls, your relationships? Can you hear the voice of love speaking to your soul this morning? So I want to just leave you with a question to sit with during worship this morning. And if you felt comfortable to just even like extend your hands right now, I want to remind you of something. God is a good giver. I just wonder if even there's someone right now in this room, like I have this sense there might be someone that's like, I don't want to put my hands out because I don't know if I'll receive anything. Like what if I ask God to hear his voice and he doesn't speak? And I want to just remind you that God is a good giver. He wants to commune with his kids. You don't have to worry that he won't put something in your hands. So dedicate your life to the rhythm of receiving from Jesus this morning. And this is the question I want to leave you with. What does it look like for me to make room to receive from Jesus Christ of Nazareth? What does it look like for me to make room to receive?
from Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You guys, let's go to the secret place with him. If you need to lay some things down, if you need to pick some things up, if you need to adjust your posture this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, what does it look like to make room to receive?